What's up, everybody? I hope everybody had a great and safe New Year's. Let's try to put some more energy into this thing, shall we? Starting off, actually, and skip turnovers to start 2022. There was one entertainment part I missed in my year in review. It was nothing I watched, but it was something that was big to a certain amount of fans, or a certain group of fans, specifically Friends fans, the sitcom from the 90s and early 2000s. And we've seen shows like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Friends do a reunion special. And Friends did. And I was going to highlight that in my show, but I forgot it. So to Friends fans, I apologize. I never watched it, but I saw clips of it. And if I have an opinion on it, it was kind of awkward at times. But I digress. We're on to 2022. So let's scrap that and move on. Move forward, like I was talking about. Starting off, there's a bit of a beef in 2022. Maybe with some Jake Paul and Dana White. Maybe some DC comic book fans and DC Extended Universe fans. Right? Um, Who, pardon my language here, who pissed away a great opportunity at what's to come for their franchises in the coming months? The Chiefs? Or the DC Extended Universe. Let's get into it. Jake Paul versus Dana White. So, Jake Paul tweets out on his notepad, on his iPhone. You know how it's kind of black. It's There's those lines. And I'm going to read this to you. He tweeted this out. Number one, incre- increase minimum fighter pay per fight to 50000 It's 12000 now. Okay, this is what Jake Paul tweeted. Number two, guarantee UFC fighters 50% of UFC annual revenues. $1 billion in 2021, okay? Number three, provide long-term health care to all fighters. You previously said, di- you previously said damn pain. Sorry, I can't talk. You previously said brain damage is part of the gig. Imagine the NFL said that. Okay, we're taking shots here. There are many UFC alums who have publicly said they are suffering from brain damage. And then he said, you have five days to accept and to implement the above by March 31st, 2022. Once implemented, I will immediately retire from boxing, enter USADA, and agree to a fight a one-fight deal with UFC to fight Weak Chen Jorge, referring to Jorge Masvidal. To all UFC fighters, time to take a stand and create value for yourselves and peers. You deserve higher pay, you deserve long-term health care, and above all, you deserve freedom. Support each other, I am not your enemy. I am your advocate, who selfishly wants to knock out a few of you to make some big bank. And then Dana White responded not long after posting it to Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all that, Facebook. Dana White said, you never responded to this challenge. You publicly stated that I use cocaine. I do not. So I told you that you could randomly cocaine test me for the next 10 years. Dana White goes on to say, I believe that you're a cheater and I believe that you use steroids. So I want to randomly steroid test you for the next two years. And that thing that you came out with today, nobody on earth thinks that you really wrote that saying he's too stupid. And for those of you that don't know, if you've ever watched one of his fights and you see the stare downs, the guy that's standing in the middle with the warlock nose and the big wart on his face, apparently that's his manager. This is all Dana White's. I, I, you, guys, you guys could just go look it up, but in case you don't want to look into the mess, I'm reading it out for you. He says, that guy used to be an accountant for me, the guy with the wart on his face. And let me say this, he no longer works for me and he thinks he's a scumbag. That's what Dana White thinks. But if you think... 
you two think you can do it better than we do, that we're knocking, we're doing the whole thing wrong, and you're treating fighters better, better than we do, knock yourself out. Go start your own business, it's easy to do. Get the warlock on it. The warlock can get it started for you. What you and the warlock should be focused on is your business. You're tanking. You can't sell pay-per-views. You're calling out Jorge Masvidal because he's a pay-per-view superstar. Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, Mike Tyson, these guys are all superstars. You're not. You can't say pay- sell pay-per-views. So you do whatever the hell you want to do. I'm ready to roll, buddy. I don't use cocaine. Do you use steroids? Let's do this, Jake. Oh, straight fire to start 2022 in combat sports. <sighs> That's a lot to unfold there. And it's not really disappointing. It's just I want to see where this goes. Um, I kind of pointed it out to boxers that are starting out that aren't famous. Kind of just spar a lot. They fight non-boxers. They don't get a lot of look, right? Jay Paul's not fighting a lot of boxers yet because he's in a, he's five or six fights deep, five or six fight deep fights in of this thing. Sorry. Again, starting off 2022 to where I can't talk. He, the difference between Jake Paul and an up and coming boxer is Jake Paul has the fame from the YouTube and the Vine, uh, Vine app and TikTok as well. That stuff's hard. Yes, it's not physically demanding, but it's hard to build yourself up like that. So props to him for that. He has the look to be a great fighter. He has uh, he has the skill, apparently, from what we've seen. Just from what we've seen. I'm not basing it off of who he's fought. You guys know how I feel about how he's fought so far. But this whole thing, I think it's just a, how some of these beefs are played out in sports. It's just played out, and it's all about money. And simply for our entertainment. Hey, maybe Dana White and Jake Paul really do hate each other. And Jake Paul thinks he's sticking up for some UFC fighters, trying to get them paid more. I don't know. But to me, it's just all, and maybe to you guys, you see it the same way I do. Maybe you don't. But to me, it's just another one of those things where two celebrities are having beef and it's going to go blow over in two months and no one's going to care. Um, Something that a lot of comic book fans care about. I'm reading out this tweet. I remember who it was by, but I, there's multiple sources from this. As I've told you with the update, The Flash, um, the movie coming up, The Flash... Flashpoint Paradox movie. That's in reference to a comic book where just this whole timeline blows up and all these different Batman and Superman. This will be Batflex final appearance, Ben Affleck's Batman. Old footage Cavill used. Old footage of Henry Cavill will be used. Um, a new Justice League will be formed. Supergirl is a new Superman. Michael Keaton's Batman from the 90s will be in this movie because of, you know, the timeline, the Flashpoint, the big ba-boom. He will be working with Black Canary. He picks Batgirl as a new Batman. And then the tweet said this, and this is, again, this is from multiple sources. This is the new DCEU. Let's be open-minded and give it a fair shot. Now, here's what I think. First off, Ben Affleck going away as Batman, I think, is a good idea. Um, I think they could bring in a younger one, maybe, but Batgirl might be good. What I don't like is how they're kind of shunning away Cyborg, who is perfect. I don't remember who the uh, original actor was. They're forming a new Justice League. Basically, a new DCEU to reset it, kind of reset it. It it could be good, or it could flop. I don't know. It's not the end of the world. It's just a movie franchise based off of comic books, but it kind of takes a little bit of excitement away from you for the movie. It's supposed to come out November 4th, I believe. November of this year, as far as I know. But we get this, and I don't know what to think of it. I don't know yet. Like, I'm excited for it, but I wish Henry Cavill would get 
his more shots of Superman. He's a great actor. He's a great Superman. He's great Clark Kent. You can still bring in Supergirl and Batgirl. Just bring in Superman. Yes, the Flash is still going to be there. Ezra Miller's Flash, who I like so far. Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman will still be there, who I like so far. Shazam. Can't remember the actor's name. He's a good Shazam. I like. They're going to keep that. I'm pretty sure they're going to be bringing in a Green Lantern and a Green Arrow soon. So we'll see where that goes. But it's just kind of like an old recycled DC stuff where a lot of their movies are good. And then they get a couple blunders and they fall off the map. Well, Marvel, on the other hand, I have a rule. With spoilers for movies. Two weeks is my rule. Both the holidays, about two and a half to three. Spider-Man no way, home, no way Home came out on December 16th in the U.S. December 15th in the U.K., special screenings about a week before that. If for some odd reason my podcast reaches the Philippines, wait till Sunday because the movie comes out on January 8th in the Philippines. Spider-Man No Way Home official review. No, this is not a long, played-out YouTube oh, let's break down every clip for five minutes or 20 minutes or an hour and this YouTube review lasts 24 hours. No, that's not exactly how it is. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this quick. So the movie picked off, picked up from Spider-Man Far From Home when J. Jonah Jameson revealed that Mysterio, sorry, played the clip from Mysterio saying Spider-Man's real name is Peter Parker. (gasps) Him and Zendaya swing off. They have to go to the apartment. Sorry, MJ swing off. They have to go to the apartment. And eventually, cops knock on their door. They're talking to cops. Blah, blah, blah. Comes back and boom. Within half an hour of the first of the first part of the movie, Matt Murdock is there. Yes, Matt Murdock. Daredevil. Charlie Cox from the Netflix series is officially in the MCU. So there, spoiler number one. Then, times pass... The people, the fact, the fact that people know Spider-Man's Peter Parker, him, MJ, and Ned are denied a scholarship to MIT. Therefore, as seen in the trailer, Peter Parker goes to Doctor Strange, the sanctum comic book nerds don't get mad at me. I forgot what it's called, but he goes there, talks to Doctor Strange, asks him to do a spell, almost exactly from the trailer. I'm not putting in every single detail. Um, the spell happens. Now, after that spell, it turns into a big fight, as you saw. And that fight, because of Doctor Strange's reality, that fight takes place from all the way to New York to the Grand Canyon. And what does Spider-Man do? He webs him up. He's stuck over the Grand Canyon. They go back to New York, back to their world, back through a portal. And that's that. Now, I kind of skipped over something. After Peter talked to Doctor Strange about the initial spell, right, there's a bridge scene. And that bridge scene is exactly what I'm talking about. He's there to try and catch down somebody at MIT to, or the counselor at MIT to get his friends in. Eventually that is successful. Why? Because Doc Ock attacks Spider-Man. You know how the trailer goes, realizes it's not Spider-Man, blah, 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 blah. The acts, the counselor says she's going to do what she can to get Peter and his friends and MIT. And then Green Goblin shows up. And then, because the scene where they're in that little basement area, Doctor Strange's place, and Doc Ock's locked up there, 
the lizard is there, eventually Green Goblin, and someone else. I'm trying to remember this movie as much as possible. I'm gonna make this quick. Like I said, I'm kind of dragging along here. Um, goes all the. There's a fight at the Grand Canyon. Okay, now I'm gonna skip past that. Peter realizes there's more villains from other worlds. It's Electro and Sandman at this open field. Okay, Peter catches them. They're in that basement. They're locked up in that basement. Peter finds out a way to save the criminals. That's what led to the fight. Peter brings them all to Happy's apartment. Yes, because after the cops and after all law enforcement, basically everybody's after Peter, Peter and Aunt May move to Happy's, Happy Hogan's apartment. Sorry if you have my TV in the background. I got Monday Night Football back on. Um... Big Ben's possibly the last game as a Steeler. Anyways, back to Spider-Man No Way Home. Fast forwarding through all the villains and the fi- they go to uh, Happy's apartment and Peter finds a cure to cure the villains of their evilness, how do you want to put it? Almost comes through. And you know how William Defoe or Green Goblin and Norman Osborn are kind of two different people in one body. And Norman's a good guy, but the Goblin takes over. Well, Norman's a good guy for the most part. And then Goblin takes over. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Peter and Gobby get into a fight. Green Goblin ends up killing Aunt May. After that... We see Peter at his lowest. There's a cool scene with J. Jonah Jameson and Peter, or Peter kind of standing there in the rain, J. Jonah Jameson saying in the background how Spider-Man's this, Spider-Man's that, blah, 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 blah. No one knows who he is, but J. Jonah Jameson still hates him because of that spell that went through. Okay, fast forward to this scene where Ned and MJ are at um, Ned's parents because Peter asked him to go there while he's working with the villains. When Peter trapped Doctor Strange in the Grand Canyon, he stole his ring, the Sorcerer's Ring, Sorcerer Supreme's Ring, and Ned, of all people, says, I wish we can find Peter. Wait for it. The portal opens up. Who comes through? Peter Parker, just not Tom Holland's. Actually, comes through as Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield is introduced in the MCU. Yes, Andrew Garfield was in it. Kind of Andrew, Ned, and uh, MJ talk for a few minutes. Then Ned's like, okay, we need to try and find our Peter. Opens up the portal. Let's find, try and find Peter Parker. Tobey Maguire pops through. My childhood favorite. Now, I'm going to uh, relate this back to sports. There's three different Spider-Man, right, that we've seen in the live action. Well, the one in the 70s, yeah, but that wasn't really... It's not what it is now. Toby, Andrew, and Tom. In my opinion, and almost everybody's opinion, Tom Holland is the best. Andrew Garfield is second best overall, like Spider-Man and Peter. Toby's my favorite, though. He's not the best, but he's my favorite. It's kind of like sports. The Kansas City Chiefs are my favorite sports team, but they're not the best sports team ever by far. Obviously, it's the same thing, but you get my point. Um, I'm going to keep this going here. Andrew, Toby, Ned, and MJ, they're all found. They go find Tom Holland. 
They're all talking about great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to the final battle. I'm just going to cut to the end here. They all fight. There's an epic swinging scene with all three Spider-Men. There's some there's some awesome quotes. There's some awesome throwbacks to where Toby has member from Spider-Man 2. Toby's like, my back. And then Toby's like, my back hurts. And then Andrew cracks his back in this movie. I know I'm kind of jumping around. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Don't wait for DVD. Go see it. It's great. It's one of the it bridges together three different generations. We see Tom Holland come into his own. We might see Toby and Maguire and Andrew Garfield again somewhere down the line. I'll save that for another day, but that movie was perfect, and I just wanted to share that with you guys. I'm going to move on to college football, okay? So sorry, comic book, non-comic book fans. I know I bored you. I know I jumped all over the place, but I'm jumping on to college football. And then after that, I'm going to take a little break, and there'll be professional wrestling, WWE's day one from last um, Saturday night, and then some NFL reaction. Starting off with Cincinnati versus Alabama, so I was wrong on that game. It was 27-6. to six. Look. The Cotton Bowl was not entertaining and neither has almost any college football playoff game we've had since the start of that thing. Makes me think we should get an expansion and then we have a night like we did on New Year's Eve. And it's one of those things to where you can't really do anything but be amazed at what Teams like Alabama do year in and year out. It's mainly because of Nick Saban. Or Georgia's defense, which has been dominant with the exception of the Bama game. I don't think that game goes like that in the national championship. I think it's much close, but Bama's winning it. I'm giving you my prediction now. Bama's winning that thing. And Alabama versus Cincinnati was rather close for the most part, but Alabama ended up pulling away. Cincinnati couldn't do anything on offense. Their defense was fine for most of the game, but Alabama just pulled away. Now, Michigan versus Georgia was a different story. Georgia got out to an early 14-3 lead, and all of a sudden it's 27-3. Michigan, Michigan can't do crap. Turnover after turnover. Can't block. They had no run block. They had no pass blocking. It was horrendous. Aiden Hutchinson was shut down. I told you the only way Georgia was winning that game if they could stop the run and they could stop Aiden Hutchinson. They stopped everything with the exception of two drives. One was essentially garbage time. The other one was a Meh, field goal. Now, an exciting college football game that I did not watch, but I wish I did. You know one of those moments in sports? I remember when I was being interviewed for a job. I was talking to the GM. It was my favorite jobs I've ever had. Uh, the GM was interviewing me. And, we, and he was a big Oklahoma State fan. And Oklahoma State had a game one night on a specific sports night. When there was a certain sporting event going on in New York between the Yankees and Orioles in 2014. Derek Jeter had that walk-off hit, his last ever at-bat at Yankee Stadium. Iconic, to say the least. And I told him about that. He's like, yeah, I was watching the Oklahoma State game and I wish I had watched that. I didn't. And that's how I felt where I was just kind of, kind of just going through the motions on New Year's Day. This game was on New Year's Day. And I saw the score between Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. It was 28 to 7 at one point. And Oklahoma State and Oklahoma State decided to go on a 30 to 7 run in the second half. Oklahoma State final score 37-35. That's what the Big 12 does. What else does the Big 12 do? 
have some kick-ass Big 12 season-opening college basketball moments, basketball games between 8-3 and three Kansas State and 10-2 and two Oklahoma. The game. Kansas State couldn't do anything on offense at all. It, it was horrible. It was horrendous. It was... Okay, that's enough. Um, OU was firing on all cylinders. And the second half came... By the way, the score was 22-33. Second half came at Kansas State... Sharpened up on offense, sharpened up on defense. They weren't so discombobulated. They weren't. And it turns into a final shot within just a few seconds left. Kansas State. You know when you're shooting a three-point shot, unless it's for sure, even if it's a wide-open look, get as close as possible to that line. Don't stand four or five feet back like Kansas State did. And they missed it. They ended up losing 69-71. to But the game had me on the edge of my seat. I'm excited to see how Kansas State basketball does. They got a young team. I've mentioned my, I have spoken about my displeasure with head coach Bruce Weber multiple times, but I'm liking what Kansas State's doing right now. Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm predicting them to do anything. It's like my NFL picks and my NFL tiers. When I say playoff contenders or playoff hopefuls, it means I like what they're doing. It doesn't mean I can see them winning anything. It means I like what they're doing. Just like the Dolphins, which I have an interesting stat for you with the Dolphins. I'll save that up after my WWE Day 1 review. Okay, Inskeep's turnover moment. I kind of fell flat on my Spider-Man No Way Home review. I kind of wanted to kind of nerd out a little bit on that, but since this show is so loaded, and I'm trying to keep it a short and sweet one, so that way, when you want to get honest and just kind of a feel-good sports review on the things going on in the sports world or the entertainment world, you kind of break it down as much as possible. And I tried breaking down Spider-Man No Way Home as much as possible. I did it pretty well, but there's a couple things I wanted to dive in on, but I won't do that today. I'll do that Wednesday. But moving on to the world of pro wrestling. Now, I haven't talked about it as much lately, except for year-end reviews, which I will do. And after pay-per-views, they're on a bit of a pay-per-view hiatus. Their last one was in November in Survivor Series, the Saturday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So they were out for a bit. Update, not much has changed. However, the card before I was before things changed on Saturday. Their pay-per-views are gonna be on Saturdays now, with the exception of a few. They're kind of lightening the workload. It'll make matches and Raw and SmackDown more entertaining, more reasons to tune in than just be like, oh, they have a pay-per-view every month. I can just check in every month. I like what they're doing. Anyways, the match card, my two highlights. There was a triple fatal four-way, which is Every man for himself, they just call it a fatal four-way. It's basically a four-man brawl for the WWE Championship between Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Big E. Then we hear about, well, and then there was another match, Universal Championship between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. My two favorite match. There were other matches between the Usos and the New Day for the Tag Team Championships. That was an incredible match. 
that match is always something that's going to knock it out of the park. It's it's like penalty kicks in soccer. No matter how you feel about wrestling or penalty or soccer, penalty kicks and tag team matches between teams like that, exciting for just even the casual fans. Um, it was supposed to be Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship, but and without diving in on anything, we got the new Omicron going around, the new COVID nineteen variant, and it looks like that has hit Roman Reigns. Now Roman Reigns has a history of leukemia. Phenomenal athlete. I don't care who you are. Some of these diseases, some of these sicknesses, you got to take serious. So obviously, they took it serious. He tested positive the day of. He's going to be out of action for a couple weeks at the least. Probably a month at the most. But we'll see what they can work with. What I like about pro wrestling is they're able to make changes on the fly. It's it's awesome. I love it. That's one of the things I love about it. I love the idea of the sport-esque atmosphere. And I love the idea of the fact that they're able to change on the fly depending on the company. And WWE has their weaknesses, has their doubters, but they do pretty well with what they've got. Anyways. I'm not going to sit there and talk through every match. Day one is an idea for WWE where they're going to have a pay-per-view every New Year's Day. Which, with their history of pay-per-views, they're going to have one this year on day one. And then day one will be a thing of the past come next year or two years from now. It just depends. But... With that being said, I loved every bit of the pay-per-view, that tag team match, the match between Edge and The Miz, a Hall of Famer and a future Hall of Famer, which my main complaint with pro wrestling, they have a WWE Hall of Fame. Basically, just they get they send you a ring or a little trophy, and they have like kind of the idea on, online, but they don't have a physical location. That would be so cool to see that. If there's, there's a pro basket, there's a basketball Hall of Fame, there's an MLB, there's an NFL... Have a physical location of a WWE Hall of Fame. Okay, maybe you can't have it in Stanford, Connecticut. But you can have it, I don't know, in Tampa, Florida. Or Orlando, Florida. Where you have your training centers. Okay, maybe don't make it that big, but come up with something, you know? That's something I'd like to see in the future from WWE. And don't just exclude it to WWE. Make it to other professional wrestling promotions. You know? Now, obviously, the Pro Football Hall of Fame doesn't have CFL players, but you get my point. Moving on to the NFL. So the Buccaneers versus the Jets. So the Jets. Those are one of the teams. I like what they're building. I, I really do. I know. Sorry. It's thirsty. I know Zach Wilson has his weaknesses. He needs to work on his accuracy. He needs to not rely on his arm so much. He needs to realize he has a bit of speed. He's a he's a little agility. He's a kind of a quick little fella. But he he was doing pretty well against the Bucks for the most part. They were winning twenty four to uh, seventeen at one point, twenty four to twenty. The, now they left too much time on the clock. There's no timeouts. Two minute warning. Tom Brady drove down and scored without Antonio Brown. Why is that? Okay, I'm gonna say this. Go look up some stuff on Twitter about what happened with Antonio Brown and the Bucks. Turns out there was an injury with Antonio Brown, and there's an incentive involved. And first off, the ankle injury found out he wasn't going to get his incentive in that game. It wasn't going their way, and Antonio Brown was just pissed, right? I'm not excluding how he did this, or I'm not saying what he did was okay. I'm just reporting on it. I'm basically a reporter with a podcast with this little segment. Okay, 
Antonio Brown and Bruce Arians get into it about his ankle and whatnot, and Antonio Brown says he's not good, but Bruce Arians and the offense and the and the health coaches and safety coach say he's good to go, and Antonio Brown's like, no, I'm not, and then Bruce Ar- and they just get into it. And Antonio Brown proceeds to take off his shoulder pads, his gloves, and his undershirt and throw it in the crowds, and he pieces out and walks off the field mid-game. Goes into the tunnel. Done. Just done. Bizarre, I know. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, so let's not judge. Yes, Antonio Brown is a bit of a head case, but what is he, what is really going on here? What's going on between him and the team? There's been reports of him possibly having some sort of health issue, mental health, not mental health issue, but a concussion issue. Now, no, I don't think we should throw that around at every single thing that happens with players when they act out of out of the ordinary. But in this case, look at the timeline. When Vontez Burfick just laid out Antonio Brown, what has happened since then? The incident with the Raiders, the contract negotiations with the Steelers, the thing with the Patriots, the thing with the Bucks. Now, it's just, there's something there. No, I'm not excusing what he did, but there might be something else going on that we don't know about, which we won't ever find out till he passes away, because that's how you don't, with CTE. Now, the mental health thing, you can kind of figure out. The, the CTE thing, the concussions, we won't know until he passes away. I hope he has a long-lasting Life, I hope he's good. If he gets another shot in football, I hope he doesn't ruin it. Or, not ruining, I should say. Doesn't blow it away. But, with that being said, you gotta do better. You gotta do better. So, next up, we'll talk about Cowboys versus the Cardinals. Cliff Kingsbury and Mike McCarthy are so horrible in the clutch and in game time decisions and, or sorry, big moments in the game, clock management. It's just so bad. And that game yesterday was so brutal to watch. Poor play calling on all sides. The Cowboys are, and the Cardinals, they can win a playoff game for sure. They're not going any further than that. My preseason prediction for the Cowboys was their defense can hold up and their offense can play play just fine. They'll do fine. And yet, maybe they will win a playoff game or two. But Mike McCarthy's decision-making and Cliff, Kring's, Cliff Kingsbury's decision-making are horrible. Now, Cliff, it's his third year in the league. I'm going to give him some leeway. He's still figuring it out. He's making some progress. Him and Kyler Murray are making progress. But Mike McCarthy's been in the leader for, league for 13 years, so you'd think he'd have it figured out by now. He's not a horrible coach, but he's not great either. My takeaway from that game was it was kind of ugly. Entertaining in the end, for sure, but ugly for the most part. Now, Chiefs versus Bengals. I said going in that game, I believe I said 34 to 30, something like that. And I was pretty close. And the Chiefs had their way. But what has been the issue with the Chiefs this year, right? What has been their issue? It's been time after time. Chiefs shoot themselves in the foot or a bad turnover or just a bad day. 
Or they play great and they win the game and we're all like, the Chiefs are back. And I felt all those emotions this week, this, this, this game. Chiefs did lose 34-31. Bengals won the North. Incredible game. Jamar Chase sets the rookie receiving record in a game. I think 280 yards, three touchdowns. And it's one of those games, I'm going to say it as a Chiefs fan, there's nothing you can do to stop that team and that on that day. In that specific game, there's nothing you can do. You can double them all you want. Joe Burrow's going to pick you apart. And again, it doesn't matter what you do. I still think the Chiefs are one of the top offenses in the league, one of the top defenses in the league. I still think they're the best AFC team, not by far, but the best AFC team. There's close ones like the Bengals for sure, the Bills, the Patriots, but I still think the Chiefs are the most complete. Yes, they have their weaknesses, as are the Bills, as are the Patriots, and as are the Bengals. The Chiefs is mainly shooting themselves in the foot, and that's the worst thing. That is the worst thing. The Bills, you can say, okay, the run defense. The Pats, you can say, okay, explosive plays. Or putting up points. Yes, I know they put up 50 points yesterday, but it was Jaguars. Um, I know they dropped 42 on the Browns, but there's outliers. The... Back to the game. I had the moments where the Chiefs were ahead 28-14. to 14. Mahomes was picking apart. Running game was averaging 8 yards per carry. They kind of shied away from that a little bit, but what do you expect? But they didn't shy away, shy away from it too much. The Bengals' defense tightened up big time in the second half. Big time. Yes, there were some calls that... Maybe shouldn't have been called. Pass interference on LeJarrius Sneed. Maybe shouldn't have been called. Hands to the face at the one-yard line. Maybe shouldn't have been called. But I look at it as if you're a good team or a great team, you won't have to worry about the refs. But some games you're going to. A great team versus a good team with bad officiating. The good team is probably going to win every time. And the Bengals are a good team. The Chiefs are a great team. And that's how I feel about the game. But props to Bo- Joe Burrow. Props to Jamar Chase. Steve Spagnuolo, never call a game like that again when a guy's going off. Double him up. I don't care if T. Higgins beats you on one play. I don't care if Joe Mixon beats you on one play. I'd rather you them get beat on one play than three touchdown drives by the same person each time. And credit to Traverius Ward and Rashad Fenton, who were mainly on both of them, on Jamar Chase that whole game. They were on him pretty well. Burrow was putting it in a perfect spot, and Jamar Chase is just too fast to bring down. Overall, the Chiefs are fine. The Bengals deserved it. Let's move forward. Chiefs play Saturday against the Broncos. Stop blaming the rest for everything. Yes, again, there's some calls that could have gone another way. But the Chiefs' offense is a bit more aggressive in the second half. We're good because they scored three points in the second half. 28-17 to headed into the half. Then they lose 31-34. They're out scored 17-3 to after that. You got to do a bit better. You got to tighten up a bit more. You don't even have to be that aggressive in the second half with the way it was going. The defense was making some stops. It's just Jamar Chase made too many plays. Burrow made too many plays. Respect to them. There's nothing you can do about it. Move on. And the Chiefs, okay, they'll lose the bye week, but hey, if they play their perfect, play perfectly, they still possibly get three playoff games at Arrowhead. Wild card, divisional round, maybe second round, depending on the one seed. So we'll see. 
and then you still get the bye week headed into the Super Bowl if you play perfectly. You sure you can you can have a couple you can have a couple blunders. Sure. But you mostly have to stay perfect. Now there's one more thing I was gonna cover, but I really don't want to because something I forgot about because I was so excited about it. Kansas State and LSU in their bowl game. In the Texas Bowl. LSU ended its regular season on a two-game win streak to become bowl eligible. Quarterback questions do remain after their starter uh, entered the portal, transfer portal. Kansas State is a seven-point favorite, while the over-under is about 48 points. And I'm just kind of thinking here. I think Kansas State's got it. I think Deuce Vaughn is magnificent. Fourth in the Big 12 in rushing yards, 1,258. Second in rushing touchdowns with 15. He's also ranked fourth in the conference with 104 rushing yards per game. He's also a Texas native who's first on the team in receptions, 47, and second receiving yards, 471. So that's bad. Kansas State needs receiver help bad. They have some good receivers, Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles, but nothing to take the top off of defense, if you know what I'm talking about. Vaughn has rushed for at least 127, 20, 120 yards in seven games this year, including four straight to end the season. His best game came in a win over KU. Vaughn had 11 carries for 162 yards with three rushing tutties against the Jayhawks while also catching six passes for 70 yards. That guy is shifty, and he can win the game for him. But there's a major difference between the Big 12 and the SEC. Bigger, faster, and physical down in the South. LSU can cover. Now, can they win? Probably not. We'll see. We'll see. Their junior safety, Jay Ward, is a freak. He's all over the place. They have senior linebacker Micah Baker Baskerville, who's been solid for them. 83 total stops with three pass deflections. Nine total tackles in four games thus far. Plus, Kansas State is just two and six in its last eight games against an opponent from the SEC. So, where do you go with that? Now, I could be a homer and say Kansas State wins. But I could be real, realistic and say maybe either or win. It just depends on how it goes. So I'm going to say this. Same thing I said about Georgia and Michigan. It depends on, on with George, what Georgia can do, how Georgia performs. Kansas State wins this game if they ignore the fact who they're playing, ignore the fact that LSU is more talented than them across the ball. But that defense from Kansas State, not too shabby, that run game, Pretty good. Skylar Thompson will be playing. I'm liking Kansas State chances. I'm going to say that money line is exactly the same as minus seven. Kansas State wins by a touchdown. Let's say 28 to 21. And that's your Texas Bowl. There's a couple more things I wanted to go over, but the show is kind of loaded from the start. Nice way to start off the new year. Enski Sports and Entertainment, episode 51. I'm out.